Well, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, it's page 984 in the church Bibles and in the large print Bibles, 1529. Matthew 17, and tonight we're going to look at verses 14 to 23. Recently, uh, when we were in Devon, uh, we had a problem with uh, uh, Paula's mobile phone, and that is the battery stopped working. Now, the mobile phone has been one of the most powerful technological advances in human history. Uh, We can do some things, amazing things, through our phones that were so much harder uh, not that long ago. Uh, Just communicating with one another, uh, finding directions, uh, taking photos and videos, uh, obtaining information. But these are only useful if our phone is something that's been around for quite a bit longer. That is a battery that works. All of that great power that the phone has is of no use whatsoever when the battery is, is flat. I've been in situations where there is no power in my phone, and of all the potential power that's in there, it is completely useless. Now, sometimes as Christians, we can feel that we are powerless. And there's a very real sense that we are. It is God who gives us the power to do what he wants us to do. But we never need to be powerless. The Christian actually is not like a phone battery that needs charging. That is, we come to church on a Sunday, we get our power charged, then we go out, and we need to make sure we've got enough battery power before we come back the next Sunday. That's not what the Christian life is like. In fact, the Christian life is a life where, as believers, there is a constant stream of power that is always working through us. That power is more like a power line than a phone battery. Power that is there, being uh, flowing, that is always ours as we have faith in him. Without faith in him, there is no power. And in tonight's passage in Matthew, we really see that connection between faith and power. Now Jesus has been up on a mountain with his disciples where they have experienced glory They've experienced in the transfiguration a real taste of heaven. Every one of the Gospels, though, that has the account of the transfiguration follows it with this story as they reach from the heavenly mountain, the valley of despair, as they meet a demon-possessed boy. This is really a coming-down-to-earth experience for Jesus Peter, James, and John. So let's read this account in Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 23. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. 
He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. This is God's word. There is a a very obvious uh, connection here between the faith of the disciples in Jesus and the power that they have to do the work of his kingdom, in this case, casting out demons. And this faith in Jesus is lacking at the beginning of the passage, as we see that our own power is powerless to do God's work. Jesus comes down from the mountain to a spiritual battle. A man approaches him and kneels before him. That's a a position of humility and of petition. He wants to ask Jesus, plead with Jesus for help. And in verse 15, the boy's problem is revealed. He has symptoms of a physical illness uh, that's like epilepsy with the seizures. But actually, we're told in verse 18 that Jesus rebukes the demon. So this is uh, a demon possession that is showing itself in extreme physical manifestations, seizures and falling into fire and water. Now, we may think that demon possession is not something that we have to face today, although I would refer you to that poster on Pelsall Common, which is advertising demonic activity for the right price, right where we are in our own village. But the devil works in different ways in bringing his evil influence on the world. I think there are different ways that the devil exerts his influence, aren't there? Now, there is the overt demonic activity that has just been mentioned in the village. And what we see here in this passage, demon possession, this does happen. But the devil also works in other ways, ways which are evil, There are trials that are brought our way that tempt us to turn away from God or to doubt him. That's a work of the evil one. There is temptation to sin. And there is spiritual blindness, such as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, of how Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. This includes an evil influence that I think we see pervading our own culture as we're told that what the Bible says is wrong is right and what the Bible says is right is wrong. 
And as Christians, these are things that we all, in various ways, have to battle against. We all have trials. We're all tempted to sin. We're all working at trying to get people to see that Jesus is Lord and Savior and that people need to turn from, him, from their sin and follow him and we're not listened to. So although that this particular situation was demon possession, we can be assured from the rest of Scripture and from our own experience that we fight a spiritual war every single day and that there is an evil that we need the power to overcome. And so in verse 16, it is sad to see that the disciples could not overcome the evil that they were facing. They could not heal the boy. It is sad, but also this is surprising. Why? Because in chapter 10, we read how Jesus gave the disciples power there to cast out demons. They had been given the power to do this work, but they couldn't do it. What was going on? Why is it that they failed? How is it that we so often fail to overcome the spiritual battles that we face? Well, Jesus gives the answer in verse 17. Look what he says. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? The you here, you unbelieving, how long shall I stay with you, put up with you, is plural. So Jesus is talking to all the disciples and the crowds around him. They are unbelieving and perverse. Unbelieving means that they were not trusting in the right thing. That is Jesus, we'll see. And perverse means that their thinking was completely wrong. So they weren't trusting right and they weren't thinking right. And those two things are linked, aren't they? If we don't think right about Jesus, we're not going to put our trust in Jesus. So the people were not placing their faith in Jesus to bring this healing for the boy. They were trusting in something else, probably their own ability. And in trusting in something other than Jesus, they were proved to be powerless. And not only was this unhelpful for the boy, it was actually hurtful to Jesus. You can sense in this verse the frustration that Jesus had when twice he, he says, how long? That's an expression of exasperation. He has shown his love and power time and time again in this gospel. We have seen him raise the dead, calm storms, heal multitudes, and give power to the disciples to do these works. He shared his power with them and still... They are not trusting in Jesus. Well, Jesus then gives them a demonstration at the end of, uh, oh, sorry, in verse 18. He says, bring the boy here to me at the end of verse 17. And in verse 18, he just says a word and the demon immediately comes out of the boy. The disciples, you get the impression, have been trying and trying and trying. And then Jesus just speaks and it's done. He's showing them that the power to overcome evil resides in him. Now think for a moment of situations where 
were powerless. Or where, rather, evil seems to overcome. What sins are getting the better of you? What trials are you facing? What aspects of working in God's kingdom do you find really difficult? We are powerless to live through and fight these things in our own strength or in the power of positive thinking or with the power of enough money or in the power of medicine when we try to do God's work in our own power we will fail every time and that's one lesson from this passage which is really good to understand you are powerless we are powerless to overcome any of these things. An awareness of our powerlessness is a good thing because it makes us realize we need to turn somewhere else for the power we need. We need to connect to another source of power. And verse 18 reminds us, as so often we have seen, that Jesus is the source of this power. And that leads us to our second uh, point in this passage. To do his work... You need his power. We see that in verses 19 to 20. Jesus was not angry at the lack of power that the disciples have. He was angry at their lack of faith. This is the answer to their question in verse 19. They say, why couldn't we drive it out? And the reply was, because you have so little faith. Jesus' exasperation of how long was not because they didn't have enough power within themselves to do it, as if, oh, you're, you're too weak. His exasperation was because after all they have seen, their faith is so little. Now in verse 20, the word faith is used twice. But in our English translations, the word faith is the same, but actually it translates two different words. The first one, when we read little faith, actually means unbelief. And this is important because it's not the amount of faith that's important. We'll see in a moment that mustard seed size is plenty, but rather who their faith is in. Their faith to cast out the demon was not in Jesus. And because of this, they couldn't do the work of Jesus. They didn't believe in him. Likely they were believing in themselves. And we can live in this kind of a way. There are a number of ways where we can profess faith in Christ, but live as though we were atheists. So we can live without thinking about God. So we don't spend time in his word, hearing his voice. We can make decisions with no consideration as to what God thinks. We can live without praying. We don't pray on our own or with others. A lack of prayer shows a lack of dependence. A person who's depending on God will pray. We can take Jesus for granted. We can think that we know the basics or have a degree in theology or have grown up in a Christian family or we've been coming to church for years and we just think that we know all we need to know and so we assume that we're living for Jesus, we're doing all the basics right when really we're not living for him at all. Are any of these ways of familiar, uh, living familiar to any of us? 
But if we have faith in Jesus to do his work, then we have all the power we need. Look at the second half of verse 20. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So the second use of the word faith is the, the usual meaning uh, of how we might use faith, which is to put someone's trust in. Put trust in someone or something. The power to overcome evil was given by Jesus in chapter 10. And so the faith to overcome it must be in the one who is able, that is in Jesus himself. If we are going to do the work of God, then our faith, our trust must be in Jesus. And notice it's not the size of your faith. That's what's meant by this mustard seed. A mustard seed was the tiniest of seeds. It was, uh, it, it was proverbial uh, as a small thing. But with the tiniest faith in Jesus, the greatest obstacles can be overcome. That's the meaning of moving mountains. Nothing will be impossible to you. Now, the moving mountains isn't uh, literal in the sense that I don't think, as far as I'm aware, anyone has put their trust in Jesus to move a mountain. Rather, the mountain is there to say whatever obstacle, however big that obstacle is, faith in Jesus is what is needed to overcome that. And it's the object of our faith, that is Jesus, that's important, not the amount. If you link it to power, uh, we all have light switches in our homes. But in parts of the world, like in parts of Africa, there are power cuts all the time. And so if someone from there comes to the UK and comes and stays in my house, where the light switches, unless something really unusual has happened, always work, they might not have much faith when they first come in that when they flick that switch, the light's going to come on. But it doesn't matter how much faith they have that when they flick the switch, the power's going to work. The power's going to work because it's connected to the power line. I have no reason myself to believe that when I flick the switch, the light's not going to come on. It doesn't matter how much or little faith I have in the switch. The object is important. Where the power is coming from is important, not how much faith. Jesus is almighty God. He is all-powerful. He will provide us with all the power that we need to do the work that he has given us to do. So what is it we need to use this power for? Because this passage is often misused to teach that Christians can have whatever they want in life if they just have enough faith. So if I'm sick, then if I have enough faith, I won't be sick anymore. Or if I have enough faith, I will get the promotion that I want. Or if I have enough faith, I will no longer suffer. I can move mountains for Jesus. Well, in the passage here, we see that the power needed was to overcome evil. Or more generally, to do the work of the kingdom of God. The work of God, the conversion of souls, the growing in Christ's likeness, the living for Jesus in the midst of trials and temptations, 
These are obstacles that are impossible to overcome in our own strength. The evil of demon possession could only be overcome by faith in the power of Jesus. And the trials and temptations and spiritual darkness that we face can only be overcome by faith in the power of Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible do we read of a mountain being moved. But there are numerous records in the Bible, numerous records in history, numerous records in our own lives of huge obstacles that are overcome by faith in Jesus. In fact, every single conversion from the darkness of this world to the light of the gospel is the biggest obstacle that could ever be overcome. An impossible mountain that can never be overcome but by the power of God. And I can tell you in my own life, for me to overcome sins that I face and I struggle with, if, I, if those sins are overcome, it is way more of a miracle than if I went and moved Bar Beacon from one place to another, I can tell you. Or for my family to come to know Jesus is a, would be a far, far greater miracle than if I was to go and move even the smallest of hills. So how do we connect to this kind of power? Like I said earlier, it's not a battery that needs charging. It is connecting to a power line that keeps giving. In fact, in John's gospel, in chapter 15 of there, Jesus gives the illustration of the vine and the branches. Being connected to Jesus gives us the power to do what Jesus wants us to do. So how can we be connected to Jesus? Well, we ask for forgiveness of our sins and we believe that his death on the cross is enough to pay for those sins and we repent of them. And as we do this, he gives us the Holy Spirit. God comes and lives in us and he equips us with the power that we need to live for him. Each day, we keep praying and we keep trusting that he will give us enough to face what he has given us to do. And the Holy Spirit is that power line that we are always connected to. He doesn't go flat. He doesn't run out. He is always there. This passage does not teach us that all of our problems will be dealt with this side of heaven. But it does teach us that faith in Jesus will provide us with the power we need to get through those obstacles we have to face. But as we close, I want to touch on how we can know that we can have faith in Jesus to overcome evil. We've seen him expel the demon of a young boy and many other miracles. But the disciples did do some of those things too. Why can't we put our faith in them? Ultimately, our faith in Jesus is based on something more than just his miracles. Something he's referred to before and does so again in verses 22 and 23. That is the power of the cross and resurrection. It says, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. Jesus has referred before to this, 
And he reminds the disciples again that he is going to die and then rise again. And the disciples were filled with grief. They always seem to ignore or misunderstand what happens after the death bit. They miss the resurrection, it seems. The fact that Jesus died and rose again for our sins is the basis of the faith that we have. Faith is based on evidence, a savior that is risen from the dead. We don't believe in a fairy tale. We believe in a savior who came, who died, who rose. And we believe it because we've seen it to be true in what the gospels tell us. Faith is not some blind leap. Faith is trust based on the evidence that we see in Jesus. And when we come to the book of Acts, these same disciples, they no longer lacked power. They had seen the risen Jesus. And we see them performing amazing acts, the acts of the apostles, which saw many, many people come into God's kingdom. Moving mountains indeed, as the church grew in the face of opposition from the peoples around them. And we also follow in their footsteps as followers of the risen Jesus Christ. And we put our faith in him. There is much evil in our lives that we have to face. Let's realize our powerlessness but trust rather in the mighty power of Jesus that we are connected to by his spirit to deliver us from evil and bring us to glory. And day by day by day, we keep trusting, we keep going, trusting that he will give us what we need to overcome the evils that we face. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these wonderful words which show us the mighty power of Jesus. And Lord, there are many obstacles that we are facing in our days, sins in our lives, trials, health problems, difficulties in our nation, families that don't believe, all of which in our own power, there is nothing we can do. But we thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit, that we can have the power in Jesus' name to overcome the obstacles that we have to face. And we thank you that you have done this for us. Amen. Well, before we come uh, and gather around the Lord's table, uh, we're going to stand together and sing a song which is really appropriate to the words that we've just been hearing. We'll stand and sing by faith.